Can our patients physically perform their jobs? Today, physical capability assessment. Who, where, and how. You're listening to ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Tom Gilliam, PhD. Tom has a doctorate in exercise physiology and is president of Industrial Physical Capability Services, or IPCS, and he's an innovator in the production and implementation of physical capability assessment programs. Tom comes to us today from his office just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Today, we're discussing physical capability assessment. Tom, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Gary. You're an exercise physiologist. You're working with docs. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. Back in 73, finished up my PhD at Michigan State University, then went on down and taught at the University of Michigan and got involved with athletes there and the doctors, working with the athletes, treating the athletes, and doing the isokinetic testing that we do in industry today at the University of Michigan. And that rolled out to starting doing industrial testing in the 80s dealing with and and working with and talking to many physicians over the years just about how to apply the isokinetic evaluation to their patient in terms of an occupational injury, for, for, for an example. We all have patients who have strenuous jobs. I'm not sure we all ask about it. Maybe we should. Maybe that's one of the things we take away from this. But assuming that we're concerned or our patients are concerned about their ability to do jobs. Obviously, the company has an interest, but these services that companies like you provide, are they always provided directly to companies? Individual primary care providers do it. How about medical companies, medical corporations? How is this service generally provided in current days? Basically, most of the time, it's done through a clinical environment, either a full-service occupational medicine clinic or it may be a freestanding physical therapy clinic or a clinic connected with a hospital. Some physician offices will do some form of assessment, but we don't see that very often. So your primary sources are your freestanding occupational medicine clinics, physical therapy groups, whether it be a, a freestanding one or some association with a with a hospital. I discourage docs from doing this in their office because of some of the legal ramifications. I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but but that's a big concern, knowing that you have a valid test to begin with and you can defend that because we have a very litigious society today. And you assess someone and you may cause injury or you assess someone and not recommend someone for hire. Obviously, people are looking to blame someone other than themselves. Well, we're all uh, too familiar with that. But let's say before we get into the legal issues, let's talk about some of the financial issues. If a provider or a clinic wants to provide the service, I assume there's some equipment that needs to be either purchased or leased. What are we talking about here? If you go the high end, for for example, there's equipment out there today. There's what they call a BTE. There's the isokinetic machines, which are your Biodex, your Cybex. There you have the Hanoon isometric testing device and others. And they will range anywhere from low-end $35,000 as high as $80,000 for a brand-new piece. So that, to me, is a pretty good expense. Meanwhile, if you get into some of these traditional functional capacity testing, particularly on a national basis, there are companies out there that will provide various devices needed, baskets, weights, and so forth, all the testing forms needed to complete their functional capacity testing, you would pay for that a much lesser amount of money, i.e. maybe $1,200 to $2,500. And then you would pay some sort of ongoing 
monthly charge for every test that's done or every form that's completed. So the expenses connected with functional capacity testing, a little bit less uh, initial outlay than some of this other major pieces of equipment. And the equipment, you know, will take up space. Functional capacity testing equipment takes up a lot less space. So you got to worry about space as well. Purchasing the equipment isn't the end of the picture. Somebody's got to interpret the data, right? Well, someone has to administer the test. Someone has to interpret the test. So you have to have that capability. And like our company and others, we provide that service where either sometimes we provide the equipment, provide the interpretation, provide marketing support, provide the defensibility of the test as well, and promise or guarantee that we have a valid approach and, and things of the sort. So it sounds like the the more common model is that of an outsourcing situation where either a clinic or a company or providers uh, would outsource with a company to do that. Yes, and that's probably the smartest way, not necessarily from a financial point of view, but from a legal point of view. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Tom Gilliam, and we are discussing physical capability assessment programs, who does it, where do they do it, and how do they do it. We're talking about some of the legal issues now that uh, we might be concerned with, whether we provide them ourselves or whether we outsource them to another company. What's your thinking about the lay of the land and how we how we got here? There's a couple of issues. One, from a standpoint of protecting yourself against any type of lawsuit that may occur, because when you do a physical capability test, whether it be a new hire or a return to work, you're going to make a, a recommendation on a given individual. That individual may or may not like that recommendation, and we all know what can happen if he or she doesn't particularly care for that. They can come back and sue you. So when you do physical capability testing, there are certain things you have to make sure that you have done. One, you have to have a valid testing procedure. Most local testing facilities, whether it be a physician's office or a local clinic that has not taken the time to validate their testing process, they're open for a major lawsuit. Setting the job or the target score, what you are going to test against, is absolutely critical. You can't do a test and not have a criterion measure to test against. So that has to be set, and that's done by having a ergonomic analysis or job task analysis done of the job, and these should be done by certified ergonomic analysis. A primary example of what happened recently in the last couple of years was this dial case out in uh, Madison, Iowa, meatpacking plant, and they were owned by a, a larger uh, meat source, but they had a test that set a standard that was approximately three to four times greater than the actual demands of the job. And also they had a testing procedure where it was not a mandated procedure. It was kind of, well, maybe I'm going to test you, but I won't test this other person. And they were tending to test more females than males. And before you know it, they had a class action lawsuit on their hand. And this 300 or 400 employee company ended up paying about 4 or $5 million in damages as a result of this functional capacity testing process or physical capability testing process they put in place and they used the local clinic, they used occupational therapists, they, they had their HR people involved, they had all the right ideas, but they didn't get the legal people involved and say, hey, but wait a minute, you got to follow certain criteria, and if you don't, you open yourself up to a whole bunch of different lawsuits. That's why probably outsourcing is the primary reason why many physicians will go that way as opposed to trying to do it themselves because otherwise they're going to have to take the time to figure out if they have a validated process and, and go through all the steps that we do routinely to protect ourselves against any type of EEO challenge that may occur, whether it be age, gender, and what we're seeing more and more today is, is obesity 
claims. So it sounds like, Tom, you spend as much time with lawyers as you do docs. <laughs> Absolutely. What are some of the government agencies that have an interest in this kind of issue, this kind of testing for our patients? Well, there's obviously your EEO guidelines, which basically says you cannot discriminate against a protected class. And when it comes to physical capability testing, you're talking gender differences. So you can have a disparate impact with male-female as long as you can show you have defensible job task analysis in place and that the test is job-related. You can certainly have disparate impact. That's not what they like to see, but is this the nature of the beast in terms of differences between male and female? You have age differences. You have to follow the guidelines over 40, under 40. Certainly, you cannot be denying work to over 40-year-olds more so than you do the under 40. And then what we're seeing more and more that's coming into play, and it's not a protected class yet, it is in the state of Michigan. It is in some communities, and that is obesity. That's coming into play very much so today. So we anticipate some major problems there that is a concern. And of course, then you have your Americans with Disabilities Act, which protects the disabled as defined by the ADA. And, and Gary, what we find is that if you test someone and someone doesn't get recommended, they automatically assume that they're disabled and, and they're not. Companies do have the right to do physical capability testing, just like you have the right to to do a drug screen. You have the right to do a paper pencil test and things of that sort. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Tom Gilliam, and we are discussing physical capability assessment programs who does it, where do they do it, and how do they do it? We've talked a lot about screening and testing our patients before they go to work. What about the issue of, say, they're already on the job and they've been injured? We as primary care providers might be taking care of them, supervising their rehab, participating in their rehab. Is this, uh, these kinds of testing programs, they appropriate for a person returning to a physical job or rehabilitating a job? Absolutely. We do return to work. In fact, we're working with a gentleman, Dr. Tom Mayer, down in Dallas, Texas now with a program called Pride. He does a great deal of, of testing. And one of the reasons why some injuries occur in industry, Gary, is that the person's in the wrong job to begin with. And the physician does their job. They do it very well. And as far as they know, the person's healed. And they can, in fact, go on and, and work. But if the person was in the wrong job to begin with, the doctor doesn't know that. And so a physical capability evaluation will do two things. One, let them know that that person can return safely to the job that they were in or not. And then perhaps further reconditioning exercises would be required. Or the other thing is to determine the status of that individual. The person's been injured. The person may have had surgery or, or something like that. What is their status? Do they need further rehabilitation? Can we pinpoint the rehabilitation? So physical capability testing on a return-to-work side makes a great deal of sense, and it should help the physician make better uh, decisions in conjunction or, or to complement their hands-on evaluation examination, which is critical. Well, let's talk about the force curves that are generated in isokinetic testing. Are we looking at the same targets when somebody starts a job as when they're rehabilitating to that job? Yes, that's the important thing. Obviously, you can't have multiple standards. If uh, you take a ramp worker for the airline industry, ramp working is ramp working, whether it be a new hire applicant or whether it be, some, be someone coming back from work, from injury, the, the work is still the same. And so you have to be able to perform that. So you don't have multiple standards. So it's the same target score you're testing against, whether it be the new hire or the return to work. 
Mm-hmm. And these are also, I assume, subject to the same legal considerations, same legal issues. Yes, to a certain extent. For example, with the Americans with Disabilities Act, on a new hire, once you start testing a particular job classification, let's say truck driver, you have to test everybody coming into that position. On a return-to-work side, you can set different criteria as to when you're going to do a physical capability test for a truck driver, for an example. It might be, hey, if, if the guy's off work six weeks or more, we test. So if he's off work two weeks and, and then comes back, you don't test. So you have a little more flexibility in terms of establishing your criteria as to when you will do a physical capability test for the person returning to work. But once you do that, you have to be consistent as well. This topic of physical capability assessment certainly covers the waterfront and has given us a lot to think about. I want to thank you, Dr. Tom Gilliam. Tom's been our guest today, and we've been talking about the provision of physical capability assessment programs. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com.